was teaching at this public school, I worked with different age groups. So I worked with like uh, lower school, middle school, and upper school. So, and I was um, working in all kinds of different populations and different um, abilities, whether it was like learning ability, disabilities or if it was like physical disabilities. But what was fascinating about it is the fact that um, I kept saying we're going to practice for this year working on grounding exercises. And so in the five-year-olds, they were like, grounding? I don't want to get grounded. My mama grounds me all the time. And then the older kids were like, grounded? That sounds like crap. That's when I'm in trouble. I don't want to do that. So it was pretty fascinating to hear how words are so powerful and how interesting it is as teachers, which you all are becoming, we're studying and we're learning all of this really cool stuff, but we keep saying that we're learning how to be grounded, right? And we're kind of learning how to stand in our truth and be more present. And um, I just find it fascinating because backbends today, what you're going to learn is they're going to help you to get grounded as you open your heart and you get grounded to learn how to trust and be compassionate. But... Um, maybe that's not the best word for you to do as you slingshot your heart to the sky in a bow pose. I loved how all of you kind of said, when you said your names and um, what you said about the pose, whether it was uplifting or energizing or inspiring or made you happy or, um, you know, opened up your heart, you know, all of these interesting things. When we practice backbends, it's increasing our courage and it's increasing our awareness. So there's philosophy behind the pose that we'll talk about today, but also when we talk about Urdhvadhanarasana, um, I want to talk about kind of like um, the feeling and how to teach it and really teach people that you're coming from a space of right action. And in order to have the right action, we really do have to be grounded. So we'll have to think of a word together that's a different word than grounded. Hmm? In the first page of your handout, I put a quote on there that comes from ancient yogic wisdom. And I kind of merged um, my thoughts together into this quote. But your body is the bridge to the infinite. It propels us to cultivate an attitude towards fearlessness, grace, and joy. And when we are coming to the mat, when we are really working on stabilizing in um, our yoga poses, um, we are bridging ourselves, our body and our mind connection to open up our hearts. Um, this pose is interesting because it's considered a more um, of an apex pose, more of an intermediate to an advanced pose. And this also is on your sheet. But it's really the most important and fundamental backbend because it's a culmination of a variety of backbends um, that we do in yoga, right? In all of our asanas and all of the things that we do when we're working from breath, we're opening up um, and doing backbends all the time. Whether it's a chest expander where you take your hands behind your um, back and interlace the fingers and just lift your chest up, your sternum up a little bit to broaden the shoulders. An up dog is a back bend, right? And we do an up dog almost right away with a cat cow, right? We do an up dog in a gentle cobra. Um, so it's really interesting because even though this is considered the apex and a, and a more challenging backbend, it's something that we're doing through the entire practice. So if we are grounded, if we are stable, and if we open up to our courage that we're creating on the mat, backbends really aren't that hard. But for some reason, it brings up a lot of fear with people. Yeah? So as we go into this, what I wanted to emphasize when you um, learn about this right action that you're learning through Urdhvadhanarasana is sometimes this pose is called chakrasana. What's a chakra? Right, it's a wheel, right? And we talk about chakras in our energetic field, right? 
that the nadis, all those flowing rivers of energy, the main intersections as yogis, we talk about like seven chakras. When you do chakrasana um, or urdhvadhanarasana, your full wheel pose, it is literally engaging energetically all of those chakras. So your work, huh? That's interesting. Yeah. So you're working your first, second, and third, right? So you're grounding, you're stabilizing, and you're kind of like, I feel safe in the world. And then you're really, really affecting the fourth chakra, your heart opener. And this is um, under the energetic or emotional benefits of the pose, which we'll go through. But I just wanted to put that in the forefront so that we're teaching our body to create um, wholeness as a bridge to the infinite, but this, any backbend, any heart opener, and especially Urdhvadhanarasana is opening the chakras so it propels us to cultivate an attitude toward, towards fearlessness, grace, and joy. Instead, when people think of a backbend, they get afraid, right? And so I really want you to kind of understand the underlying sub, you know, substratum <laughs> of what this pose is about. It's really teaching people how to let go of fears. So I never, when I'm teaching, really talk about, hey, we're going to do a backbend today because the backbend is a buildup of other poses. Hmm? Cool. Awesome. So when you look at your front page of the pose, let's go over the Sanskrit name for um, the pose and the definition or the translation of it before I go back to kind of like the story of where um, uh, uh, Urdhvadhanarasana kind of comes from. What do you think Urdhva means? Right? Urdhva, Mukha, upward facing, right? Upward facing dog. So um, sometimes this pose is called Urdhva Dhanurasana full wheel pose, but it's actually an upward bow because Danu means bow. And what's asana mean? Right? Asana is posture, pose, or to sit on the platform of the breath. So when you put it all together, you're creating this beautiful upward bow, this full wheel that's a heart-opening pose. And so, you know, this is kind of where that saying, open your heart, comes from, right? Any kind of chest expander, any kind of opening heart pose thing. Um, what's really cool is that if you think about it, we're sitting on the platform of the breath in this backbend pose, and I show you all these really interesting pictures from Leslie Kamenoff's uh, Yoga Anatomy book in here, where it kind of shows you what muscles and bones and ligaments that you're working on, but it doesn't really show you the lungs, and the lungs are really interesting because your lungs are quietly supporting the heart in a backbend almost like um, you're like holding a baby or giving your friend a hug um, so the heart can remain soft and calm and the blood flow is open and free. And that's, to me, really interesting because then it goes towards that fearlessness, grace, and joy that we're trying to find through our practice is that really every backbend, every breath that you take, you're holding and nurturing your heart. And part of the fear that people come into backbends with is like, oh, shit, no one has my back. I don't feel stable. You know, I don't feel safe. But actually, you are the guru. You are that light within that is keeping you stable and safe if you really trust that inner light as you let the lungs and the breath hold your heart and create more openness and exposure in the pose. That's my trippy philosophy mind talking to you. Um, uh, there's a lot of excitement and fear and freaked out stuff that happens, um, especially when you tell a student um, that you're going to do a backbend. There's kind of like some people just get this dreaded look on their face. Uh, but um, when we're doing uh, this, um, you're, um, you're continuing to spin the chakras that exist in all people, right? So you might 
they might look at you with excitement because they're really happy because they're very open and joyful. They might look at you with fear and dread because they're like, oh my God, I'm having a really poopy day and I feel very closed off and you know tight and restricted. Or they might look at you freaked out because they're just like not in a good spot, right? And then all of a sudden you're asking them to be really exposed and they're not ready to hold their heart in their hands and hold their heart in their lungs. And so you have to slowly kind of cajole this pose and coax it out of people. Um, we look in the mirror all the time, right? No, no one looks in the mirror, right? I don't have a mirror in my house. Are you all looking at me like, no, I don't have a mirror, yeah? Okay, do you ever look around at your ass before you leave the house? <laughs> right? Sometimes I bend over and make sure I don't have a hole in my yoga pants, but um, do you ever just like look at your back and be like, oh, my back looks good, right? What's interesting about this pose is because what's in front of you is really familiar, right? But when you um, look behind you, there's a mystery of the unknown. So part of that fear and that freaked out doubt and things that people get is that yoga is a process of moving from the known to the unknown, from the front of the brain to the back of the brain, from the front of your body to the back of your body. Because it is a journey and backbends are journeys into the great unknown, and you're moving your attention from things that you see to things that you don't see, it is scary. And so a lot of times when you do start to open up these chakras or do start to get into your back bends, um, you really have to think about you're already ready. Your students are already ready for all of these back bends because you already are a yogi, right? Do you all breathe? Right? You all inhale and exhale. You inspire, you expire. And so then when you think about that, that known and unknown is already there because you're already balancing your ha and ta in everything that you do in your life. You already have that balance. So somehow, when you're teaching, you have to communicate to your students like you can handle the known and the unknown. You can handle these poses, even if they look scary or feel weird in your body, because you're already ready for it. You already are balanced, and if you trust that, and you hold like your lungs holding your heart, and you hold yourself into this space, then you're ready for that right action. So I'm like gonna tell you the story of where the pose came from, and you as teachers are teaching, and you're really not talking about this kind of substratum or like the real reason behind the poses, but in a way you have to kind of know about that in order to be able to communicate how to get into something without triggering that like, ugh, feeling or that dire, that dread, or that like apprehension, or like that weird face that someone gets when they do like an up dog and they look like they're constipated or doing something weird. It's because they have limited their breathing, which in turn then they've limited that open awareness of the unknown, you know? Is this too out there, are you okay? It's interesting. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story here. Um, the reason that this pose um, kind of came out uh, 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 um, in the pose is, uh, or um, how kind of the backbends came about is bow pose is an opportunity to apply right action on the mat. So um, have you heard of the Bhagavad Gita? Yeah. The Bhagavad Gita should hopefully be on your reading list. The Bhagavad Gita is um, the Song of God, right? But it's a story that's taken from a bigger group of stories. Um, uh, and this smaller story is all about, um, it's a yogic uh, scripture or storyline that's based on a conversation between Arjuna, who's uh, um, a prince who has to go to war. And he's having a conversation with someone named Krishna. But what's interesting about Arjuna, this is where all of your hero poses are Arjuna. 
right? All your warrior stances, warrior one, warrior two, warrior three, your crescents, all of these different kind of like stand, it's like standing in your truth, right? It's being balanced, not too far in the future, not too far in the back, and that, um, but right here in the present moment. And it's all from this storyline that about Arjuna, who's this prince who has to go to war, and Krishna. And the story begins with Arjuna making a choice. A war is breaking out, which is the last chance for Arjuna and his brothers to take back the lands that were unjustly stolen from them years before. However, fighting this war means Arjuna will undoubtedly have to kill his relatives. Don't, 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 right? It's like the famous stories, right? Um, and, it, and just as he raises his bow to begin the fight, he falters and lets it slip. And he asks Krishna, who in the Gita is both a mentor and a charioteer, for advice. And Krishna tells Arjuna that he must fulfill his dharma, his duty or his purpose. Dharma, um, like, you know, kind of like your opening talk, your intention. A lot of times it's your dharma that you're trying to help your students find when they pe they're practicing. Or when you go to like a Zen center or a study um, uh, different meditation styles. They have Dharma talks where they talk about the philosophy or the morals and stuff. So Krishna tells Arjuna that he must fulfill his Dharma, his duty or purpose as a warrior and fight against evil. He lets him know that even if he does kill others, their immortal souls will live on. And he goes on to explain to Arjuna he must approach both happiness and distress with detachment because both will come and go through his life. In the end, Krishna advises Arjuna to surrender himself to him as he is the personification of the divine. And this surrender of love and support um, is all about, um, in the Gita, how Arjuna is representing our ego while Krishna represents our highest consciousness. So as heroes or warriors like Arjuna, we're all battling difficulties that arise in our lives. So part of the bow pulling pose, part of what we're doing, is we're um, learning how to take right action. So bow pulling pose is all about this right action and really opening up the lines of communication in our body, all of these chakras, to ignite our heart and our root chakra and ignite ourselves into this really deeper um, purpose in life. Who knew, right? And the Gita teaches us that we um, uh, need to identify it with our ego and learn how to kind of overcome it, right? Because we are not that ego, we are not our thoughts. And in doing this, we begin to surrender to what is taking right action rather than fighting. And we start to use the challenges we are faced with as opportunities to grow. Because there's no such word as impossible, right? Impossible means I am possible. Do you use that in therapy? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're creating opportunities to grow. So bow pose, the bow that Arjuna is using to fight this battle, is um, an opportunity to apply right action on our yoga mats. We strike a perfect balance between being fearless while remaining detached from the results. I think this is really interesting because you do hero poses on the mat, right? So all your warrior poses help to build stamina and determination. And then the uplifting backbends that we're creating are promoting courage and invigorate you to fulfill your true potential. So that bow, it's that right amount of um, tension and softness, right? That balance between striving and yielding. And as you move through the poses, your breath keeps you focused on your intention to surrender to something greater. And that's why we're doing this pose for the philosophy behind it. But now we're going to learn like all about the way that we get into it and that um, uh, to create space to act consciously with what it says on the title of the front of your page, right action. 
Remember if that in a real bow, has anybody ever shot a bow and arrow? Did anybody get really into archery after the hero game? Uh, what's it called? The Hunger Games, right? Remember they started to make pink bow and arrows for girls in the, in the store, the toy stores. Mm -hmm. It was pretty sad. Um, but in a real bow, if there's too much tension, it will break. If there's not enough tension, there won't be enough force to launch the arrow. And we need to find the right amount of effort to gain the benefits, like launching the arrow without bringing harm to ourselves. So you're finding that right effort in any given situation. When I'm teaching dancer's pose, which is a bow and arrow, right? Dancer's pose is called what? Trick question. <laughs> Dancer is a seeker, right? She's reaching, she's seeking. But dancer's pose, when you reach, say, the left hand forward as the left foot is grounded and your right hand is in your holding your right foot and you're reaching in equal yet opposite directions, you're always in this space of not enough tension or too much tension, right? You're in this space of the known and the unknown. Sometimes we say you're in the space of creation and destruction because you're just finding the balance of the breath. So you're practicing your ha and your ta. And that's what you're trying to find is how to create that space of right action so you can just trust and be present in the moment without dumping it out or without falling out, right? but finding that balance with the tension. And so everything that we do in these wheel poses that we're going to kind of play with today is all about um, finding that right action of Arjuna. So you are the bow. And do you want to look on page one? And after it goes over the anatomy stuff and kind of shows all the muscles, that you're working on. We go into um, number two on your questions. The poses that are associated with wheel, I just said one. What was that? Dance. Dancers. And did I say what it was called? Because everybody just looked at me goofy. Natarajasana, the dancer, Nataraja. Um, any pose or setup for beginners or modifications or variations of the pose help you to get into it. And on your fourth page of your handout, I gave you a sequence by Jason Crandall to kind of help you to figure out um, how to sequence a really good backbending prep practice. What I love about um, the back bends is that because you are working the front body and the back body, you can start off with like a virasana, a hero's pose. So we're on question section number two. Uh, what's, um, and then set to bandhas, uh, sarvangasana. So part of your homework, if you don't know what these are, is you get to look them up. So an upward um, dog, right? Even an utkatasana. What's utkatasana? Chair. Chair, right? Your powerful pose is helping you prepare for it because it is a little bit of an up dog, but it helps you in the quadriceps. Um, Parsvokanasana, an extended side angle. A warrior one helps you to be grounded and prepare. And Dhanurasana, your bow pulling pose. That's where you're on the ground doing the same pose as Urdhva Dhanurasana, right? What is interesting about all of this stuff is that you want to um, uh, create openness in the front of the legs, but you want to have stability in your feet, and you want to find openness in your heart as you lengthen your tailbone. Um, so you want to make sure that you're still in Tadasana. 
as you do this pose. What's the first thing that happens when you go into like any kind of upward facing movement in your practice? So if you're in an up dog and your hands are to the ground and your legs are reaching back behind you, what are you doing in your body? Let's try it. Why don't you take and grab your block and keep it by the side and lay out on your mat and bring yourself um, uh, your onto your tummy. If one of the overlooked meanings of hatha from hatha yoga is forceful or masterful, what I find interesting is that when you start going into upward facing movements, a lot of people compress their lower lumbar region because they're not being masterful in the practice. If I say to you, come into an upward facing dog, just set yourself up um, and come into an up dog. Okay, whose toes are not active? whose glutes are not engaged? Is your pubic bone and tailbone having a good conversation and dialogue so it's working together and you almost can feel your tailbone sweep forward like a tail and tickle your nose? Who feels like they're putting too much, and don't force it because you guys aren't super warm. Who's feeling um, their arms are locking out, right? So there's no resiliency in the arms. Who's feeling compression in the shoulders and the ears? Right? Who's feeling um, that their um, shoulders are actually dipping forward versus reaching back and the shoulders are going in the back pocket, right? So all the things that you're actually feeling right now are the same cues and things you have to think about when you're doing a back bend. A lot of times people are saying, oh, I don't have enough strength in my arms, or oh, I don't have enough of a flexibility in my low back. But if you can do a gentle cobra properly, thinking of every pose being Tadasana and being masterful about it, you'll be able to do a back bend, right? A lot of people who say that uh, you'll hear like my back is inflexible enough or my hands aren't strong enough to lift me up, you'll also hear people say I'm too big or I'm, I, I, have, I'm, I have a larger body and so only skinny wiry people can do this. It's so not true because anybody can do anything if they're coming from a place of Tadasana. You're just increasing the vital life force around the heart which is like where your prana lives, right? as well as dis uh, you're distributing the, f the force, right? So you have to redistribute the weight in your pose so that you can get into it from um, like a delightful space. So we're gonna try our upward facing dog very differently now using a prop called the block, right? So we're gonna squeeze the block in between our thighs. It's gonna feel kind of weird. You're just gonna take the block and give yourself a little bit of a tail and squeeze it so that the block is really close to your groins. And now you're going to allow yourself to um, open up and distribute the, the ha and the ta so you're more masterful. Okay? As you squeeze the block, spread out your toes so that the big toe and the pinky toe and the shoelace side of your foot are down, but spread out your toes like fingers. So you should feel the pinky toe without letting the heels push out to the sides. Reach your hands forward and tent up your fingertips and keep your arms straight. So you're going to reach your hands forward like that. So your biceps are near your ears. Touch your forehead to the ground and notice your low back. Do you have a really big dip in it? We have a natural curve in our back, but now can you subtly draw the pubic bone forward and lengthen the tailbone? Ah, what did you feel when you did that? Space. What else did you feel? Did you feel the uh, more room for your diaphragm, your abdominal walls got stronger? Did anybody feel their pelvis realign so it's more in a neutral space? Right? So you're allowing yourself to be centered 
And that's what we're doing when we're balancing out the ha and the ta, we're finding our um, alignment. So now you're in Tadasana. Now from this space, you're squeezing the block, right? So do you feel your quads active, your adductors active? Do you feel your hamstrings active? Rebecca got a cramp. Yep. Okay. Keep that energy and space in the breath. Bring your hands now and slide them towards the shoulders. And then pull them a little bit deeper down towards the middles of the ribs. Good. Do a gentle cobra without weight in your hands. Without losing Tadasana. Beautiful. Lift your heart up a little bit higher. Okay, now press into your palms and draw your heart high, but keep some resiliency in your arms, a little bend in the arms. Good. Shoulders are open. Nice job. And draw your pubic bone towards your thumbs. That's the hard part. Okay, keep your legs active. Make your kneecaps smile. And now look to your thumbs. Are your thumb knuckles bent? You can always tell if a student's passive if their thumb knuckles are bent. Straighten the triads of the hands, the thumb and the index finger, and get the pinky fingers really light. And underneath your hands should have like a little bit of a suction cup, like resiliency, some space. Good. Sway a little bit from side to side so you find some freedom and liberation. I know. Give that sexy, like, I'm ready for flash dance or to work at the deja vu. Right? Okay, and now find a neutral space and uh, Christine, bend the elbows back a little bit further and lift your heart. Like you can feel your superpower emblem, your sternum, lift higher to the sky. Yep, bend your elbows a little bit so they're not locked out. There you go. You are doing a chakra, you're doing a wheel, you're doing a bow, you're preparing for that apex pose. You're doing good, low back down. Lower back down, low back down would be funny. And now find child's pose so that you can release that compression that you just created. So half Lord of the Fishes, spinal twists, child's pose, Shavasana, um, Uptavishta Konasana, which is like a wide-legged sitting on your um, buns. Um, or even Janushrisasana, like tree pose on the ground. These are all poses to do after. So you're doing pose, counter pose. Feels good, doesn't it, to do the child's pose? Sweet. Okay, so now bring yourself back up. The poses that we're going to do to build up to it is bridge pose, is called Setu Bandhasana, but sometimes it's often called um, Urdhvadhanarasana prep. And so we did basically an up dog, kind of like how to cue someone in an up dog with all those different points I showed you. Because if you can cue in an up dog and keep the Tadasana and keep the engagement, you can get someone into a back bend. So what I would like to do is go two and two and two and two and two and we'll be together and we're going to cue our friends in doing an upward facing dog and then we'll move to bridge. Ready, set, go. How did that experience feel teaching your friend? Good, weird. I mean, there's not a lot of cueing that tends to go into that particular pose. So, yeah, like, isn't it ironic? Saying so much more about it, I was like, I don't remember what she said, and I don't really remember what anyone's ever said about yeah. cueing in that pose. They say, Erdva, Mukha. Oh, they say upward facing dog. Yeah, right? and then you're in it for a second, and you, you're, you're out. Right. I think you said, like you said, that you notice a lot more like you're dumping into the shoulders. I think that's super common. And then... Um, like it's, I don't know if it's different how much your legs come out the floor. She brought up maybe like the length of your arms, yeah. you know, depending on soul. Right. I'm not sure if there's a proper like space right. that should be between your thighs. 
that's good, right? So we have to look at everybody's skeleton from a different viewpoint because everybody's body is so different. We don't know, but you can definitely tell as a teacher when someone's passive. You can definitely tell when you're watching bodies how to get them to engage. So that's why I wanted you to, to, to first cue your first bow pose to find right action in Tadasana because as it says on your page two, you have to teach people how to shift into that inner state of equilibrium and peace and make it steady and easeful from power and stillness. So if everybody's body is different and yoga is in your bones, you have to really know some people aren't going to move further than they can, right? Some people aren't going to be able to straighten their arms because they have a sh shorter torso. Or some people are going to be able to, but then they're squeezing their ears to their shoulders. And the same thing that you're doing in uh, up dog is the same thing you're doing in a back bend. And then we go through more of those cues in the, um, the um, Tadasana where you're anchoring your gaze. Did anybody talk to um, when they were cueing their friend about where to look? Hmm. So this is interesting, and I didn't really talk about it when we were doing this, but a lot of people get triggered and freaked out when they're in an upward-facing, uh, downward-facing dog, when they look up, like crinkle up their, fur furrow their brows or crinkle up their forehead, and they look up, which is actually looking down to the floor, because what happens is, is they trigger the vagus nerve. So, I mean, not, they, don't, they tr don't trigger their vagus nerve. Their vagus nerve gets triggered or something stimulates so that they have cortisol production so they freak out. If you look down the tip of the nose, when you're in an upward-facing dog or any of those moves that are a heart opener, it actually, if your drishti is about four feet out in front of you or down the tip of the nose, it actually helps ground you and calm the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's something to think of. Versus looking up? Yeah, when you're flight. looking up, you kind of like put yourself in a state of fight or flight. But if you're looking down out in front of you and your drishti and your fixed gaze point is in a proper position, you don't trigger that cortisol production. Yeah, it's very fascinating. And then did anybody cue their friend to breathe? My, my teacher taught me to breathe, made sure I was breathing, right? So as we work with everybody's different skeleton and their joints and the way that um, because yoga is in the bones and everybody's body is different, you're really going to have to be very careful when we start going deeper into these backbends, but it all stems from Tadasana. So if we keep remembering our cues for Tadasana, did anybody use the block to teach their friend? No. Did you um, say to engage the inner thighs? Did you say to engage the glutes? Did you say make your kneecap smile? I know it seems so funny, but every time I say kneecap smile, what happens is it pulls the quads. It brings, it's like you're pulling up a pair of pants. So the bones hug the muscles and the muscles hug the bones. Because remember, prana, that energy is in your bones. Did anybody talk about, um, my partner talked about how the shoulders kind of draw back into the back pockets, right? By bringing the shoulders back and opening up the collarbones, you're using the lungs again to hold your heart, to like say, I have your back, right? Was that anybody's, did anybody use some kind of cue in your up dog to create space through the shoulders? No. Something to think about, which is good because now we're going into bridge pose, okay? So bridge is another really good prep pose for Urdhva Dhanurasana. So, in bridge pose, your knees are bent, right? Your back is on the ground, and then you lift your hips up, and you take your hands underneath you and interlace your fingers. So, bridge is set to Vandasana. You're bridging, just like the quote on your page is your body is the bridge to the infinite. You're opening up your mind, like, right? You're kind of creating that energy. So what, we, what really helps for a new student is if the block isn't there, that you make sure, bless you, just like in Tadasana, their feet are hip, you know, like in uh, equal alignment, in, in um, samashtitihi, equal footing. 
So if the student doesn't have a block, you can literally stand, like where you just lay on your back and bend your knees. Oh, oh no, oh. Your yep. And, okay, and then you just stand and put your legs here. So you get a thigh master, but they have to <laughs> keep their legs there because they're gonna wanna push out. One thing when you start going into these upward movements is that your legs, because we're disconnecting and we're freaking out, they start flaring to the sides of the room, okay? So everybody lay down on your back, bend your knees and put a block in between your legs and feel the engagement. So you're squeezing the inner thighs into the block. So your adductors are active. And in turn, what's happening is you're giving yourself that power and stillness. You're not upsetting the intrinsic balance or equilibrium because you're creating a sense of well-being because you're still in Tadasana. There's a natural space underneath your spine, right? Your shoulders are relaxed. Now, take and bring your um, elbows and bend them and place your palms so that they face towards each other. Yep. Bend the elbows and your palms face towards each other. So you're basically set up for a gentle cobra in your uh, arms, right? You could literally, like, your hands, if you flex the palms to the sky, you're preparing for a little bit of an up dog. But now, place your palms to face towards each other. You're squeezing into the blocks. Your toes are spread wide because your feet are an equal footing. And now press into your feet and lift the hips up. Because we teach from um, making things accessible from modifications on up, you're building up to Urdhvadhanarasana. You're not just going right into it. Um, lift your hips up high, and if that feels comfortable, reach your hands down to the ground and take your hands underneath you, interlace your fingers, press the pinky fingers down to the ground. You're still opening your heart. You're still finding um, space. You're still doing a pose that's all about in the Bhagavad Gita, working um, on the concept of Arjuna, taking that legendary fight, right? So we're working with tension and ease. We're balancing out the shtira sukha. Do you feel your glutes engaged because of the block? Right? Do you feel your neck is long? There's space underneath the neck. You're not looking from here to there, but you're finding your drishti point. And then release your hands and lower your hips back down. And bend the knees to the chest. And reach your right arm back, roll to the right side, and come up to a seated position. And what I'd love for you to do is, because you all just had a chance to um, practice with a block, I would like you to teach your friend by doing that leg thing where you stand and, school and make sure their knees don't go all kittywampus and they don't lose the engagement. So how did that feel, cueing? It's interesting because like now we're moving towards the pose, right? And in a sense, you were just doing camel on your back, right? You were just doing an up dog on your back. You were doing Tadasana. You were cueing. Did you notice how everybody's skeleton is different? So like you might have had your legs too hard pressing on your friend because they like needed more space in their um, knees. Because you were becoming the block, right? So sometimes like you could have had their knees like so that they were bow-legged or pushing inward, and you needed to almost step wider like you were getting on a horse in order to keep their legs in alignment. Um, another thing that you can use that works really well is if you have a strap to, will you just, uh, is that, that's okay? Um, if you have a strap, you take this strap, and because we're teaching that in yoga, your hands are your feet and your feet are your hands, right? So you're working from the center of your body. But when people get really freaked out as they start setting up for bridge, which is the pre-pose for full wheel, and they're in alignment and their, he and their arms are down by their sides and they're wiggling their fingers so that their heels are close to their fingertips or in a comfortable space. 
um, and they don't want to go up very far, and you can tell that they're apprehensive, you can have them keep their arms by their sides and just lift their hips up high. And if they can't lift their hips up high, you take and you stand near their feet facing towards them, you place the, block, the strap underneath them, and you lift up. And now I'm supporting or I'm creating a hammock. And then we'll release the hands and have them come down. One of the reasons that I like to have the elbows bent and the palms face towards each other is because they open their shoulders automatically. So what I'd like you to do is try that one with your friend now, because this is the precursor to our final piece de resistance that we're getting towards. So if we don't have enough straps, um, we'll go get some. But I, I want you to try that with your friend. So how was that one? Interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if your hands are your feet, your feet are your hands, and you're working towards this space, and you're trying to find ease in um, the practice, and someone's a little bit apprehensive, this is a great way to start to open up the hips. If you don't like touching as a teacher, remember, your words are your most powerful, voice, powerful tool. So you don't have to do hands-on adjustments, bless you. Um, you want to just make sure you're breathing with the um, student and you're really supportive, right? Because people could go being on this emotional roller coaster and we have no idea as they're getting into the pose. But that's a nice little elevation. Another thing you can do is take your block and set the block up underneath their um, tailbone and that becomes a little bit of a bridge. It's actually a shoulder stand prep, right? So um, that uh, you are getting them um, prepared for their pose. So has anybody not done the block underneath them? Chloe kind of was showing it, right? I just wanted to feel it out. Yeah, yeah, so I want you all to feel it out. So I will cue it for you so you feel it. Now there are students who say, I hate this and it really hurts my back. So you have to kind of know and remember what you're kind of working towards. And um, that leads me to the issue or challenges to watch out for. Before we do this little thing and you all feel it, you want to watch out for low back pain or injury. Carpal tunnel syndrome, right? So people have things going on with their wrists, tendonitis of the wrist, um, shoulder impingements, um, blood pressure you have to watch out for, high or low, and um, also um, headache or diarrhea, because it can be a little bit weird, right? Not diarrhea. D -d diarrhea. Right? Yogis love to talk about poop. They do. I know, they really do. I was going to tell a poop story in class this morning, but I thought it would be not good. I kind of like that about that. Well, it's all about releasing, right? Letting go. Like that Frozen song. It's just so close to people when we talk about poop. Right, yeah. Okay, um, people come up to me uh, sometimes after I teach, and they said, you didn't talk about farts today. <laughs> So you can either have the block colonial, which is a little bit more flat, or skyscraper. And you're taking your sacrum in placing it at the block. You're not putting the block in your L4 or L5. You're actually putting it where there's more bone. So it's another way to rest your bridge without hurting yourself and creating space. And it's, uh, this is actually a prep for your full wheel. As you all are kind of hanging out, preparing for the rest of the pose, the physical benefits of your um, bridges and your backbends, your Urdhva not only propel us to cultivate an attitude towards fearlessness, but, and this says this on the sheets that I handed out, you're stretching the chest and core musculature, so can you feel it? Your quads, your hip flexors, your abs, your chest, your shoulders, mm -hmm. your flexibility along the front body. You're strengthening your hamstrings, your glutes, your adductors, your spinal muscles, and your shoulders. You're creating stability in the sacrum, your arms, shoulders, wrist. This helps people who are suffering from asthma because it helps you with breathing. 
And most importantly, it's um, helping you with slumped shoulders. This is a huge energy boost, whether you're just doing a gentle bridge or we go into the full wheel, because it's um, stimulating the thyroid, the parathyroid, your pituitary glands. So in turn, it is a counteracting depression because of this energy boost. Now what I'd like you to do is slowly lower down. And for the last couple minutes that we're here together, we're going to go into the full-on pose, okay? Remember that this is a heart opener, and you are a yogi, you are ready. So when you're ready, bend your knees to your chest, roll to the right side, come up from that little back bend that you created. And you're opening up your heart. So when people feel the fear or feel the kind of like um, that apprehension and look freaked out, you want to support them. But if our hands are our feet, our feet are our hands, and we're working from Tadasana, you have this pose. There is nothing that you can't do, okay? Don't put a strap around people's arms, right? And you can do this against the wall with two blocks, but what I'd like you to do um, instead of doing that is, does anybody like love back then? I don't like them. Is anybody yet have a really flexible and love back then? Okay, so she's going to come up here. And what we do when we set up people in a full on Urdhva Dhanurasana is we take and you're, yep, lay on back. And we're cueing them. Never step on their feet, right? You're always, your first thing is you're doing a vinyasas or you're prepping them with an up dog. You're prepping them with all the things that we've kind of mentioned along the way. You're cueing Tadasana, and then you always set up with Setu Bandasana or the Urdhva prep, which is bridge. Then we start to get them prepared, just like you would do in Chaturanga. Your hands are down. They are placed next to your ears, so you're going to take your hands and place, yeah, place your palms next to your ears, and your fingers point towards your toes. Okay. At this point, you're using your exhale, and I really like to have people squeeze a block here if they're not into this pose. And they use their exhale and they press into their hands and come to the top of their head. So you're just going to press into your hands and come into the top of the head. Push uh, all the way up. You're just pushing the, yep, just coming to the top of the head. Oh, just down yep. here? So right here, people might be freaking out, okay? And then you tell them to stop. If you can see them freaking out or shaking, and then if they're comfortable, you say... Push up into your hands and lift your hips up nice and high. Now, you have to be careful of this region, so you can't get close to the privates, and you got to be careful of the face, because if they start looking up, you're like having a baby, so you can't walk towards there. But you can kind of do the same thing, put the strap around the um, uh, uh, thigh biceps and, and, and pull a little bit here. Some people come to the side and hold onto the hips and lift up. I also find that a really vulnerable space. As a teacher, your words are your most important thing, okay? So you're just lowering down the same way you come in, chin tucks to the chest, and roll yourself out, and then you give them space to breathe. So it's an inhale and exhale, and then you found your counter pose, whether it's a spinal twist or just relaxing right here, because you just did that full, full back bend, okay? Same cue as if you're in Tadasana. We're trying to find that alignment in our bodies. I'm going to show you how to get someone into the position if they're totally freaked out, okay? You ready? You might need to come over here. You can see. Okay? Okay, so it's really easy to um, uh, uh, do Urdhva Dhanurasana. And most people stop. And unless it's a, you have to come over here so you can see. Unless they, um, there, most people only do Urdhva Dhanurasana and do, uh, with the prep as um, bridge pose versus going into the full on wheel because they don't think that they're warmed up or they haven't done a lot of backbending class. If your class is in a backbending class, you're only going to go to Satu Bandhasana. If your class is focused on backbends, then your students are ready for it. If you have a student in a class who's a large body or feels like they're not ready for it, 
or they're uncomfortable, you want to really make sure of two things. That you don't have a hole in your pants as a teacher, because that's really not appropriate, right? Because they might look something they don't want. Isn't that like always the consideration? Yeah, but this one's with the word is standing. Yeah. Okay, so I'm standing over her head. So I know this person, and I'm going to have to read as a teacher that my student's like ready for a deeper adjustment. And then you have to say, like, this is not going to hurt me, so grab on as tightly as you can, because they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to hurt you. So she's going to grab onto my ankles. Your hands are your feet, your feet are your hands. As a teacher, I better be really in my tadasana, because I could fall over on them, okay? So she's grabbing onto me as tight as she can. Should I go, like, down or top? You're going to grab my ankles. Okay. Yep. Okay? I'm coming into Utkatasana, so I'm coming into my powerful space. On her next exhale, I'm going to say I'm going to touch your shoulders, and we're going to slowly push into your feet and lift up. Ooh, she just cracked. Are you okay? <laughs> no, that's normal. Okay. Let your head hang and just breathe. So I'm holding her shoulders. I'm supporting her. She's holding on as tightly as she can to my ankles. And then she's going to slowly bend her knees, and I'm supporting, 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 and holding her as she comes down. Then, because I've done this really big assist, I'm going to have her come into happy baby. But I'm going to, yep. And instead of her grabbing her feet, I'm going to take my hands to her feet and my knees to her, oh, you're really open, and my knees to her legs and just give her a little stretch. And then I pull her legs back because I want to stretch her out. And then I just, she's not relaxing. Relax. <laughs> yes. And I say, good job. Okay. So the uplift is coming from a place of compassion and kindness. And it's helping a person who's never done it get into it. So we're going to go through the cues again of telling someone to get into the pose on their own. And then we're going to go through the cues of getting people to come in by assisting them. Are you all okay? Your eyes are very big. <laughs> At least your, your dark day has turned bright, because I see I, you smiling. It sure has. Yeah, yeah. right? Okay. Um, if someone has wrists, or challenges, or they feel like my shoulders are too tight because I'm a bodybuilder, right? Or I feel like um, I have, I'm recovering from something and I can't straighten my arms very well, probably not going to be accessible because everybody's body is different, right? Their bones are different, their structure is different, and we have to work from everybody's skeleton. If you ever have someone who gets really freaked out and you're not around to cue them, um, before I go through this pose one more time, you can take the blocks and place them against the wall so they're coming out the long way. You take and bring yourself so that your head goes in between the, what's this called? The, the blocks. And I put my hands so that I have my fingers still pointing forward, but I'm like in chaturanga arms, right? My fingers are pointing forward. I'm set up for bridge pose, but now I'm going to push into my hands, and then I'm going to lift up. That was my back. So I, see how my elbows aren't bending? I mean, my elbows aren't straight because I am coming, I'm that person with the injury. But I've elevated myself with the blocks to be able to get into a more modified pose. Right? So we'll feel that on our own. Um, before we leave, but I just wanted to show you kind of another option other than having someone grab onto your ankles. Because if you don't feel comfortable touching a student, it's like a horse or an animal knowing your fear. The student's going to be freaked out and get a little bit wigged out and won't be able to do it. So let's just talk through again. Do you mind doing it one more time? Let's talk through again how to set up a student. And we're going to popcorn teach this. So we're going to use the same cues as an up dog. We're going to use the same cues for, that we did for bridge. We're going to use the same cues for tadasana to help our, our um, yoga dummy 
<laughs> right? Chloe, you're not a dummy, but okay, we're gonna get her into the pose. Ready, set, go. Put your toes up on the mat. Mm -hmm. Press the toes down. Mm -hmm. Breathe. Yes, so right, so we're trying to draw the tailbone th uh, through the thighs, right? That was a good cue. Mm -hmm. Yep. If, if, if you don't cue that, what's another thing you can use as a prop? Block. Okay, and where would I put the block? Right into the butt. Yeah. Okay, do the side. Thanks. Oh, squeeze. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got to cue squeeze. What's next? Take the inhale, exhale, we exhale, lift your pelvis, and, uh, and tuck a crown of your head on the floor. Mm -hmm. I think that would do that first. Mm -hmm. With subtle weight, so you're not compressing the cervical vertebra, right? Okay, and then I guess we should ask her if she yeah. feels okay if okay. she wants to go deeper, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So it's totally cool, because we're watching skeletons, right? and that they can have their knees bent if they need to. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's she doing with her head? What should she be doing? Relax. Yep. Okay. Oh, and I'm going to drop the block. <laughs> <laughs> right? So she can tell she's working from flexibility because she's at she, it, it, her block open. Right? And so she's engaging the inner thighs. And then we want her to kind of broaden the space in the torso so she's not compressing her low back so somehow we have to cue that right and then let's how does she come out so she can take a rest look up towards the ceiling thank you <laughs> and what would be a really simple counter pose now that she's on the ground and we say breathe deeply right what would be a good counter pose to do from that deep compression through the low back. Okay, a happy baby to spread out the sacrum. Yeah, windshield wiper the knees. Yep, spinal twist, right? Yep, you like fish. I don't know what's fish. Your hands go underneath your buns and you arch your back and your legs go straight. But it's another little bit of a back bend, so it's a, we'll just give you a little time to relax. Okay, how do you feel about that? Good teaching teachers. Feel good? Yeah? Some people on the full wheel, she has her feet on the floor grounded. I see some people on tiptoes. Is that a different pose or they just like that? Deeper stretch in the front, right? It could be. It could also be like a, like a gymnastics trick or just oh. a trick because they're not stable, mm -hmm. right? Some yeah. people bring one knee to the chest and then straighten the leg high to the mm -hmm. sky. Right? Yeah. So it becomes a little bit of an athletic um, showmanship thing. Mm -hmm. And so we're really trying to be grounded. grounded. So when we practice Ashtanga, or when some of you practice Ashtanga, we, people do um, drop backs and then you're trying to come back up. So you're literally trying to use the breath because you're so balanced in your Shtirasuka to, and you can come out whenever you want to. Um, to literally drop back and come back up to standing. Yeah, so there's different perspectives and different views of the pose, but right now for like this tech, I just want you all to really focus on how to teach from modifications on up to realize that a back bend is an up dog. To realize that a back bend or Vedanarasana is placing your hands behind your back and creating an open heart, right? So there's not tons to do. Okay, so what I would like to do is um, have you all uh, teach this to your friend.
So in the last couple seconds, as we kind of go over and uh, just review this, um, you, so your quote at the top was really all about right action. And I gave you some homework or questions to ponder that are on your first page. How does your work on your yoga mat get applied into any action in your daily life? Um, and what, it, what in your life makes you vulnerable so that you are able to shine your heart and light out into the world? Because this truly is a really big pose about e exposure and opening up. And even though we know as yogis, there's the known and the unknown, there's the front of our body, the back of the body, and our body moves in all these different directions. Um, when you get into the back bends, it is a journey into the great unknown. And so people do show you funny faces and whether it's excitement or it's fear or it's like, wow, this is fantastic. You're taking people into the warrior pose and you're representing that story of what's the person's name? Arjuna, yeah. And so you're teaching about Arjuna and you're teaching people how to, to promote courage and invigorating them out of a place of depression or maybe negativity. And you're opening them up as they ignite all their chakras to the infinite possibility within. So you're all gonna be awesome teachers. Thanks for doing back bends. Make sure you're real gentle with your spine today because you might not have been warmed up as you got into it. And um, Really remember your voice is your most powerful tool as a teacher and work from modifications on up. You're going to be beacons of bright light and the merits of your practice are going to benefit all beings with compassion and kindness. Have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you.